Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters' 90-minute bottomless brunch can be added to the purchase of any entree for an additional $20. Bottomless options include mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and Bud Lights. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swing a high drive, left center field, well struck. Robles racing back, warning track, looking up, and it is gone. And it's 4-0 Arizona. Home run number nine for Cattell Marte, a three-run shot, and the fourth consecutive hit against Patrick Corbin. Rallo Perdomo, the shortstop, the batter, and swings and lines one to left toward the line, in for the base hit. McCarthy went back to the bag at third, now turns and comes in to score easily. On a single left at RBI for Perdomo. The Diamondbacks have scored in a third straight inning. It's now Arizona 8 and Washington nothing. He keeps going. He's down on a knee. He's got it. Bat is flipped sky high. And Juan Soto is your 2022 Home Run Derby champion. And he wanted to be darn sure of it. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, July 23rd, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Chase Field in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast, a bonkers seven-day stretch for the Nats that started last Saturday, July 16th, ended on Friday night. And this was a seven-day stretch that had very little to do with actual games. In fact, for four of the seven days, we had no Nats games. Uh, the Juan Soto situation has escalated massively since we last spoke on this podcast. We'll get to everything momentarily. But the Nats on Friday night began their post-All-Star break portion of the season. Game one of a six-game trip out west. Game one of a three-game series at the Arizona Diamondbacks. A Diamondbacks team that isn't good. Uh, the Diamondbacks are last in the National League West. And so you figured, hey, at least the Nats, who, of course, have the worst record in the majors, can at least maybe possibly get off to a decent start out of the All-Star break. Uh, no, that was not allowed. Uh, the Nats lost at the Diamondbacks 10-1 on Friday night. Uh, just in case you had forgotten about uh, the struggles of the Nats this season, uh, you got a stiff reminder on Friday night. Mark, it is nice to talk to you, my friend. Uh, now, I do want to make sure that you're doing okay. The word is that you were made to fly out to Arizona via a commercial flight. I cannot imagine the suffering, the humiliation that you must have endured flying commercial as opposed to the Nats or someone having chartered a flight for you. So my deepest sympathies, but how are you? 
I'm doing okay, Al. I appreciate all the uh, thoughts and prayers. I did have to spend five hours on a plane sitting next to a crying child and a hysterical mother. Oh, wait, sorry. That was my wife and my son who came with me. They were great throughout the whole thing. Yeah, boy, it's been quite a week, hasn't it? And and who would have thought, <laughs> really, who would have thought that a major storyline during the All-Star break would be the method of travel for Juan Soto to get to Los Angeles for the All-Star game. I mean, that's how nuts this is. But I think as we talked about Sunday morning after the news first broke about the contract offer and what may happen as a result, I said this is going to become the predominant storyline. And it absolutely has overtaken the baseball world in the last week and not in a good way if you're the Nationals or Juan Soto for that matter. It really is something, I mean, not since the Nats won the World Series have they been the talk of baseball like they have been the talk of baseball for the last week. And of course, the irony is the Nats are the worst team in baseball this year. So like, how often is the worst team in the majors the number one story in the majors during the week of the All-Star break? And yet, that was in fact the case. And, you know, it's nuts too, because it's like, Every five minutes, it felt like there was a new report, a new rumor, someone saying something else. You constantly saw the heavy hitters in terms of national MLB insiders tweeting about the Nats and what they were hearing about a potential trade of Juan Soto. And yeah, it really was something these last few days. We're not used to this. Even when the Nats were good, it was really like the Nats were the number one story in the sport. And here they were for this week, and they were, without question, the number one story in baseball and really one of the top stories in all of sports. It's nuts. Like you said, for them in this position to be like that, I was away for most of the break. I went to the Grand Canyon and Sedona and traveled all around Arizona, so I was a little bit out of the loop. But like any time you would check your phone, any time you turn on the TV, it was there. It was everywhere throughout this. And I you know, I feel for Soto. He wins the home run derby and he immediately has to be asked questions about if he's going to be traded within a few weeks or not. Uh, Davey Martinez at the All-Star break is getting it nonstop. He said he couldn't even watch BP before the game because he was being hounded by everyone. And that's, listen, that's both like media covering this, but also everybody within the clubhouse from other teams wants to know, hey, what's going on? Is he going to be traded? What do you think about this or that? It has overtaken the whole sport in a way that you rarely see. Now, I guess, obviously, you rarely see a 23-year-old, maybe future Hall of Famer being on the trading block in late July. So that adds to it, too. But I just I keep coming back to this. And I know we wanted to get into more detail on it all, but I keep coming back to this thought. Maybe something happens by August 2nd. But there's a decent chance nothing happens by August 2nd. They don't have to do anything here. And what's that going to feel like after all the hysteria leading up to it if Juan Soto is still a national on August 3rd, at least for the remainder of the season and, and moving beyond? I know fans would love to see that, of course. But, man, for all the attention it gets, let's remind ourselves it may or may not actually happen here in the next 10 to 12 days. Have the events of the last seven days made you feel like a trade of Soto this season is more likely? Because it sounds like you still kind of feel like there's a decent chance that he doesn't get traded by August 2nd. I think certainly there's a chance. Uh, I'm not going to try to downplay that and say, oh, that's not going to happen. No way, which is sort of my initial thought at the outset of all this. Clearly, teams out there are putting together whatever packages they can come up with. I think the question is, if you're Mike Rizzo and ultimately Mark Lerner, are you just going to take whatever the best package is? Or are you only going to take it if it's one of those things that you can 
turn to your fan base and say, yes, this was worth it. This was worth trading away a future Hall of Famer at age 23 because this package of prospects is so good. We're never going to get this again. It's going to change our organization in a good way. And it's going to actually put us in a position to win sooner than if we waited any longer with this. So that's possible. Sure. But I just keep coming back to this idea of, you know, they don't have to do it. I, I go back and forth on this one. The idea of, are you really getting that much more for him in a trade now than you would this winter or next summer? I think there's a reason to think that, yeah, you could get more, but is it substantially more? I don't know. I'm not entirely sure of that. And so I just come back to this idea of, if you don't have to do it right now, you don't have to just take whatever the best offer is. Why not wait it out? Why not see who the new owner is? And see where this thing can go. I feel like Mike Rizzo isn't going to get bullied into making this move now if he's not truly ready to make it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of thought that if you wait till the offseason, you could get more for Soto. I know traditionally that's the thinking that in the offseason, you have 29 other teams potentially in competition for a player as opposed to in season when the non-contenders are most certainly not in contention for a player. And in recent MLB history, we've seen some of the bright young stars traded be traded in off-seasons. You know, you think about Mookie Betts, you think about Francisco Lindor. There has been so much that has come out over the last few days, it's easy for things to get lost in the shuffle. I think one of the more significant things that has come out, and you know, I'll grant you that this wasn't a report, but this was something that was tweeted by someone who we know is pretty well connected to the learners. Barry's Verluga, the Washington Post on Tuesday tweeted that the expectation is that the sale of the Nats should be completed by November. That's like the first real timeline that we've gotten in terms of when this sale might be done, because we've been like operating blindly with this sale. Is it going to happen in a year? Is it going to happen in six months? Like what exactly is happening here? Well, according to Barry, the feeling at the All-Star game was that this thing is going to get completed by November. I think that should impact what you do with Juan Soto. If you really do believe that the team is going to be sold by November, then why not hold on to him and see what new ownership can do with him? Now, I think it's still debatable if you're new ownership, whether you are wanting to buy the team with Soto or wanting to buy the team with him already having been traded. What's out there is that you can really approach it in a variety of ways if you're a, a prospective owner of the Nats. I don't think there's like a right answer to that. It really is a, a matter of like personal choice. It's a subjective thing. But if you're Mike Rizzo, why not say, hey, hold on here. Let's calm down. Let's get the sale of this team done by November. And then let's see where we're at with Juan Soto. That to me would be the prudent way to go here. It seems the same way to me. And there's a lot of logic in that, both in practical reasons like you're all explaining, but even on an emotional level. If you're Mark Lerner and his family, do you want your final legacy, your final major act as owners of this franchise that you love so much to be trading away Juan Soto? That's a decision that they're making that ultimately isn't really theirs to make in a lot of ways. This is the next guy's decision to make. So why would you do that now if you don't have to do it? I also think there's a reasonable question here of, is the franchise worth more with Juan Soto still part of it or not? I think it, you know, I don't know enough about how franchises are valued and how you determine how much a sale is going to be. But I would think that Juan Soto, as the one true draw of this team, is only going to increase the value of the Nationals when it comes time to sell him, as opposed to if he's already gone, and what do you have left uh, to work with here? So I think there's that. 
part of it. You know, I think Mike Rizzo is doing the right thing by asking around, what could we get for him? And if somebody comes in and all it takes is two teams going head to head and desperately want to get it done, for someone to come back with a package that you're like, you know what, we may never get this kind of offer again. As hard as it is, as much pain as it's going to cause, I have to do this because I think it's best for us as an organization. Then, okay, I see that. But to me, like you just said, I think there are more reasons here for caution and to wait it out because there's a lot more different possibilities of how it could play out. You could still trade him. You might have an owner that comes in and says, hey, I'm going to pay whatever the man wants. I'm not losing this guy. He's the face of our franchise or something in between all of this. You know, we don't really know. But yeah, if you have a sense that that's going to be completed, that process is going to be completed by the offseason. That, to me, would suggest that there's a lot more reason to want to wait this out a little bit longer. It's such a complicated situation because you have one of the greatest trade chips ever, a young player, a great player, and a guy with two plus seasons left of team control. Like Those three things all converging with this one guy, it really is rare. And it's funny with the two plus seasons left of team control, you could argue that that's reason not to trade him because it's like, hey, he still can be with you for multiple years. You have new ownership coming. And then you could also say, hey, that adds to his value so much because a contending team trading for Soto right now gets him for three pennant races in theory. And like that drives up the value. And so, you know, there's that aspect to this. There's the ownership uncertainty aspect to this with uh, the Nats. There's the aspect to this, which you're hearing more and more of, and I don't know if this is people planting this or if this is legitimate, but that Soto's unsignable, that he has no interest in signing an extension with anybody, that him and his agent, Scott Boris, want to take this to free agency. And so, you know, that has to weigh into your decision making here. If he's unsignable, if there's just no number that's going to make him say yes, well, then you do have to be ultra serious about trading him and maybe trading him right now. What about, though, the nastiness of the last few days? And, you know, this has been off-putting. I mean, if you're a Nats fan, you know, it starts with last Saturday, the leaking of Soto having rejected 15 years, $440 million, and Soto making it clear to you guys he was not happy about the leaking of that. And I think we all think that this came from the Nats. We can't say that with certainty, but it certainly seems to be the case. Then you get what happened on Monday. Scott Boris to Sports Illustrated, spilling the beans on uh, Flightgate, shaming the Nats publicly for having not chartered a flight for Soto to the Los Angeles area for the home run derby on Monday night, even though we have since come to find out there's a lot more to the situation than just that. You also, by the way, and this has kind of gotten lost in the shuffle, and Soto saying to reporters on Monday, I don't know who to trust. You know, Soto saying, hey, one moment they're saying they're not going to trade me, as Mike Rizzo said on the Sports Junkies a few months ago. Now they're saying that they are going to trade me. So there's that. Do you feel like there has been real damage done to the Nats-Soto relationship? Or do you think this is just kind of how business works and that behind the scenes things can still be okay between all parties here? That is my fear of what's already happened and what it means for that relationship moving forward. And that is potentially why not making a move now could make things really awkward the rest of the season and moving forward. Now, that said, if the awkwardness is between Soto and ownership, well, that may not be the same ownership (laughs) come November, December. And you may have someone walking in who makes a point to go to Juan Soto and say, hey, you are our franchise. We're going to do whatever we have to do to keep you around here. We're going to treat you the right way. Forget about how things have gone in the past. We're in charge now. So 
I think that adds a whole different dynamic to it as we've been discussing here. But yeah, I do worry about what the relationship is deteriorating into. And I feel for Soto in all this because, as we said from the outset, he didn't want any of this in the public. I'm sure whatever is being put out there by his agent about the flight and not getting him a charter flight, I guarantee you Juan Soto does not want that out there and doesn't want there to be public complaints about it. He knows enough to know that does not go over well with fans, whether there's any truth behind it or validity behind it or not, that doesn't go over well with fans. And I'll just say, because I think this is such a non-story to begin with, but I'll just say, I've been doing this a long time. I've never heard of a team chartering a flight for its one all-star or for one all-star and one coach. I've heard of teams coming together who are both in the same city and they maybe have a combined six, seven guys going to the all-star game, joining together and taking one plane together. I've never heard of a team chartering a flight for one player. I don't think that is at all what Juan Soto would have expected of them. I don't think it's a big deal at all. I think this is Scott Boris doing some damage control and trying to bring some more sympathy to his client when the initial report of, oh, he turned down $440 million probably didn't go over so well with casual fans, even though smart fans, as we've discussed, can read through that and understand why he turned it down. Yeah, it's nasty. And I feel for one that he's stuck in the middle of all this because he doesn't want any of this. Yeah, it was a real nasty thing that Boris did because what he did, and he knew what he was doing, he played right into the reputation that the learners have. And some of it's deserved, okay? But Boris played right into the reputation of, ah, there you go, cheapskate learners. They won't, you know, put forth the bucks to fly their superstar player out to LA. They're being petty because he turned down $440 million. Boris knew exactly what he was doing when he did that. What I don't know if he properly anticipated was how many people have shot back and mocked him. And in addition to him, now Soto, you know, and and Soto's kind of collateral damage in all of this. But, you know, with what's going on in the economy right now, with how many thousands, if not millions of Americans have had to deal with flight delays because of all the problems with air travel in recent months. Like nobody wants to hear about Juan Soto. Oh, we had to wait for two hours. Oh my gosh. You know, like, let me clutch my pearls, that kind of a thing. But yeah, that was a pretty dirty thing that Boris did putting that out there about the learners. So, you know, who knows if real damage has been done, but no doubt there has been a lot to take in with the Soto situation. And, you know, it's just an ordeal where it's like, Every game, every moment, you don't know if you really need to be cherishing these things because it could be it for him as in that. I mean, Juan Soto on Friday night had one of the Nats' three hits. Top of the seventh, a leadoff single to right field on an 0-2 pitch. And if you stayed up to watch the game, I don't know how you don't say to yourself, is that one of the last hits in a Nationals uniform that we will see Juan Soto author? I mean, Monday night. So, like, of course he wins the home run derby, right? Like, that had to be a part of all this. But he wins the home run derby. And, you know, if you're a Nats fan, I don't know how you don't have kind of like a melancholy feeling while watching that of like, this is awesome seeing him do this and what was, I thought, a pretty exciting home run derby. But, geez, this kind of could be like his swan song in a Nats uniform. There was a great photo of him and Davey Martinez at the All-Star game. You know, each guy's arm around the other. It was a really nice thing to see. But, I don't know how you don't look at that and kind of shake your head like, why does this have to end? You know, so there are a lot of feelings right now if you're a Nats fan watching all of this transpire and that it all could be ending with this generationally great player and ending within, what, a little more than a week now, August 2nd. 
boy, it just feels like it came out of nowhere. It feels like it's escalated so quickly. You know, we've gone from zero to 100 real quick, and we just don't know where it's going. And I'm sure that for fans and media alike, there's some PTSD going on here as well, because we've been through this with Bryce Harper four years ago, wins the home run derby at Nationals Park in dramatic fashion. And a year later, he's gone. Now, you can say that that ended up working out in the end for the Nationals, and this is a little different case. But between Harper, between Rendon, between Trey Turner, like stop and think about the idea of how many superstar players have been on the Nationals in the last four or five years and the idea that none of them would still be here because all were either allowed to leave via free agency or were ultimately traded. I mean, that's crazy to think about that any team could be in that position. And I'm sure there's a faction of people out there right now saying, hang on, we've been through this enough already. You're telling me they're going to do it again and you're going to do it with maybe the best player out of them all in his prime? Like, what are you doing here exactly? Like, take a step back and, and forget all the valid baseball reasons for them to be exploring this. But think of it in these terms. You've got an, a decent chance at a future Hall of Famer in your uniform. He's 23 years old. If he's stuck around, he's going to have number 22 up there on the facade next to Ryan Zimmerman. He is an icon. Even if your team doesn't win, you can always say, we had Juan Soto. And you're going to trade him at age 23? Like, who does that, right? And I get that there's reasons to do it. But on an emotional level, like, really, who does that? And that's what's so tough. I am totally sympathetic to teams not wanting to give players contracts worth hundreds of millions of dollars with the history of these contracts being awful in baseball. I totally am on board with this idea of one guy, even a great guy, can only mean so much to you as a major league team. You're better off having three or four good guys as opposed to the one great guy. But Soto is a person for whom you really do consider making the exception because he's so good and so young and he's been durable and there is like nothing that you ever hear about him in terms of like not being a good teammate or a good person or anything like that. And, you know, you mentioned Bryce Harper. It's so funny. The same franchise that foolishly did not trade Bryce in his contract season now might trade Juan Soto with him having two plus seasons of team control left. Like, that's not right. It should be the opposite. You should have traded Harper, and then, you know, you show a little more patience with Soto. But this is where we are, and uh, something tells me we're not going to have resolution on this until at least August 2nd. So we shall see. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And the pitch. Swinging a broken bat, line drive off the glove of the pitcher, trickles behind him. The pickup by Marte and will have no play. Cesar Hernandez is aboard at first as Gallon could not squeeze the soft line drive off of his left side, and they have posted a hit on the scoreboard. Gallon could not make the catch. What a tough way to lose the no-hitter. There was a game on Friday night, and boy, I mean, you talk about starting your post-All-Star break portion of a season in a lackluster way. 10-1 was the final for the Nats at the Diamondbacks on Friday night. The Nats did nothing offensively in this game. One run, three hits, one walk, struck out nine times, 0-for-1 with runners in scoring position, one at-bat with a runner in scoring position the entire game. I mentioned Soto single. The other two hits came from Cesar Hernandez. Uh, Cesar Hernandez in the top of the six had a two-out first pitch infield single off the glove of the Diamondbacks starting pitcher Zach Gallen to end a no-hit bid by Gallon, And then Hernandez in the Nats, one run ninth, a leadoff opposite field double, which was a double, but like it was a double that came on a flare into no man's land in the left field. This wasn't like some great looking double by Cesar Hernandez. And he scored on a K-Bear Ruiz RBI grounded. It was that kind of a night offensively for the Nats. There's not a lot to say about the Nats offense on Friday night, but Mark, what is frightening is Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Nelson Cruz. They all soon could be gone in addition to who knows who else. If this is what this offense is like with these guys, what might this Nats offense be without these guys in a little more than a week? Well, I can tell you, unfortunately, exactly what they would be like, Al, because I ran the numbers prior to Friday night. So we know in July that as a team, they have not been hitting at all. They Going into Friday night as a team, this month they're batting 218 on base percentage 289, slugging percentage 335. I took Juan Soto and Josh Bell out of that equation. I kept Nelson Cruz in because he's a big reason that they're not producing at the moment. You take Soto and Bell out, here's what the Nationals' offensive slash line has been in July entering Friday. So it's going to go down based on their performance Friday night. 189 batting average, 245 on base percentage, 255 slugging percentage. That's who the Nationals are without Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Are you ready for two months of that the rest of this season? No, I'm not. I don't think anybody is. I'm not saying that's the reason not to trade guys, of course, but it is a scary thought to think how bad this lineup is right now and how much worse it could be without their two best hitters. It really is something that the Nats have been as bad offensively as they are this season. And I suppose you could use that as an argument to trade Juan Soto. Hey, we're terrible with you. We can be terrible without you. But boy, I mean, just nothing happening offensively for the Nats on Friday night. Now, the Nats pitcher on Friday night was the former Arizona Diamondback, Patrick Corbin. And man, it's been interesting with Corbin here in recent days. Uh, These rumors out there that the Nats might try to use the Juan Soto trade chip as a means of ridding themselves of Patrick Corbin and his contract. For the record, you have the ultimate trade chip in Soto. To waste that, to just try to get rid of someone, I think would be really dumb. So I really hope that the Nats do not do that. You only have two seasons left to Corbin after this season. I get that the money does tick up for him these next two years, but 
You have Soto. The purpose of this is to get back a bunch of good young players, not to get rid of someone like a Corbin. But man, Patrick Corbin continues to be worse this season than he was the last two seasons. And I think that's such a key point with him. It's not like he got bad in 20 and has stayed at that level. No, he got bad in 20, got worse in 21, and he's even worse in 22. Five runs in five innings on Friday night for Patrick Corbin. He gave up eight hits because that's what he does is he gives up a ton of hits, like start in and start out. Gave up a homer, a double, and six singles. He did once again do this bizarre thing where he gave up a lot of runs and hits, and yet he had a lot of strikeouts. Seven strikeouts versus one walk. He actually threw a good number of strikes. Uh, 99 pitches, 64 strikes versus 35 balls. But again, gave up way too many hits. Bottom of the third, gave up four runs, including giving up a one-out three-run homer to Cattell Marte to center field for a 4 nothing Diamondbacks lead. And here we are, Mark. Patrick Corbin, 20 starts into this season. ERA back over 6, 6-0-2. This is what we've been seeing every fifth day all year. It hasn't changed hardly at all. Like you said, he strikes out seven. So, I mean, the stuff is good. He's throwing 94, even 95, I think, at one point. So the stuff is good enough to get swings and misses. But as we've seen so much the last few years, when they do make contact, it's loud contact and they get hits off it. There's not a lot of weak contact, not a lot of outs on the ground or pop-ups or anything like that. When they get a hold of one, they really get a hold of it. And so it's just the same old thing over and over. He's got the most losses in the league. He's got the highest ERA in the league among qualifying starters. And nothing is going to change here. This is who he is. Yes, he occasionally has the great start like we saw against, I think it was the Pirates, but not with any consistency. Even on a night when you would say there were some good things that he did, he still gives up five runs and five innings. That's not going to help anything. That's not a, a winning formula. Now, as far as his potential inclusion in a trade, you mentioned it, but I want to like reiterate this point for those who don't maybe quite understand the, the logic here. If you include Patrick Corbin, let's say, in a Juan Soto trade, you're doing that to try to get another team to take on his salary. You're essentially doing a salary dump at that point. You're not getting much of anything in return or not nearly as much in return when you do that. That's not the reason the Nationals would be trading Juan Soto. They're not trading him to try to shed payroll. They're trading him because they do not have nearly enough young talent at the major league or minor league level to feel like they can compete in the next few years. And so they're going to risk losing him and never win with him again. So if you are going to make that move, and the only way to sell it to the public is, hey, look at these four or five elite young players we got in return for him. They're actually going to help us win sooner than we would have won if we kept Juan Soto. That's the only way you can frame that potential deal to say, oh, yeah, and we also got rid of Patrick Corbin in the process and we don't owe him that money anymore, but we didn't get as good of players in return. That doesn't work. That's a salary dump. That is the last thing this organization wants to be thinking about right now. Yeah, especially with ownership changing. It would be such a waste of, again, one of the greatest trade chips ever. Great player, young player, two plus seasons left of team control. Not that people need more convincing on how bad Corbin has become, but like you said, you know, he had the recent good starts, those back-to-back outings, a win over the Pittsburgh Pirates, a loss to the Miami Marlins. Since then, four runs in six innings in a loss at Atlanta, six runs, five earned in five innings in a loss to Atlanta, 
And now what happened at the Diamondbacks on Friday night, five runs in five innings. So any inkling of, hey, he's back, no. The last three starts have been really bad. And, you know, the Marlins and Pirates, as we talked about, bad offensive teams. The Braves are a good offensive team. The Diamondbacks are a bad offensive team. And yet still, Corbin on Friday night gave up the five runs in five innings. We did have a lot of roster maneuvering by the Nats on Friday afternoon and Friday night. So on Friday afternoon, the Nats recalled reliever Hunter Harvey from AAA Rochester. So he's back at the major league level of the Nats having optioned him to Rochester this past Sunday morning. We thought at the time, you know, Harvey's stay at AAA probably wouldn't be that long. Victor Arano is back. He was returned from rehab assignment and reinstated from the 15-day injured list on Friday afternoon. Arano was placed on the 15-day IL on June 6th with left knee inflammation. But Tyler Clippard now is on the 15-day IL. He was put on that with a groin strain on Friday afternoon, retroactive to July 19th. The Nats' bullpen on Friday night was not good. Uh, Three relievers combined to allow five runs, three earned in three innings. We saw Harvey and Arano pitch. We also saw Jordan Weems pitch. He gave up a bomb to Dalton Varsho to right field for a 6-0 Diamondbacks lead in the bottom of the six. 451-foot home run for StatCast. Harvey, bottom of the seventh, allowed a run, gave up a one-out triple to Cattell Marte. Arano, bottom of the eighth, allowed three runs, one earned on two singles and two walks. And also was this, and this, I believe, was announced during the game on Friday night. Josh Rogers has been uh, reinstated of having missed a good chunk of time with a left shoulder impingement, but he has been optioned to AAA Rochester. So a lot to sort out here in terms of the roster transactions by the Nats with pitchers on Friday. Yeah, I think the unfortunate thing here is Clippard, you know, such a feel-good story back with the Nationals after eight years away, pitches two scoreless innings in his return. Everybody's excited for that. And then two days later, he's warming up in the bullpen and felt something in his leg. They shut him down at that point. He tried to throw again. I don't know if it was prior to the All-Star break or during the All-Star break, but he said he still felt it. Uh, They went and got an MRI, found a groin strain. And so, He's out for at least 15 days. It's backdated three days to uh, July 19th. So, you know, it's really less than two weeks at this point. Maybe he comes back. But, you know, disappointing just on an emotional level because you hoped, you know, to have a little something to cling to right now uh, and have Tyler Clippard back. So that's disappointing. The Rodgers move, I mean, I think that tells you his rehab starts were not good. He did finally on Friday night have decent results, two earned runs in five innings. But he is officially just a minor league starter right now at AAA. He's on the 40-man roster still, and at some point they could decide to call him up. But I think that tells you a lot that they're going with Annabelle Sanchez, they're going with Paolo Espino, and that Josh Rogers is not part of the immediate rotation plans. I think probably says a lot about where he really stands within the organization. And you know, remember, this is a guy who, on opening day, they actually did send down he got called up very quickly because of Annabelle's injury, but he was the last player cut in spring training. So I think that tells you probably what they think of him for better or worse. Yeah, they chose Joanna Doan over Josh Rogers for the rotation. Yeah, the rotation for the Nats at the Diamondbacks, Corbin on Friday night, Annabelle Sanchez on Saturday night, and then Eric Fetty for the game on Sunday. If you're looking for some kind of positive Nats news, we can at least leave you with this. Uh, the Nats have signed multiple picks from the recent 2022 MLB draft, including the first round pick, outfielder Elijah Green. So there will not be a Kumar Rocker scenario here, 
We do not have to worry about the Nats not signing a first-round pick as we had years ago. Elijah Green has been signed. Going to probably be a while until he's at the major league level and we can worry about signing him to a $440 million contract extension. But, you know, you can never take it for granted. Do you sign your first-round pick? Well, the Nats have signed their first-round pick. Yeah, and they gave him basically the slot value for it, $6.5 million, So that's a good sign. They didn't try to go cheap or anything like that. On him, it's good. Get him locked in. Get him starting to play. I would imagine he'll be heading down to West Palm Beach soon, finishing out the year in the rookie leagues, and then maybe next year starting at uh, Fredericksburg and low A ball. Another maybe encouraging thought for fans out there who I know are going to be just cynical about this already, like you just were, and speculating that he's already going to be gone for $400 million someday. He is not represented by Scott Boris. I was told he is represented by the same agent who represents Ronald Acuna Jr., who, as we know, accepted a long-term extension with the Braves way before he needed to and a very team-friendly deal. So maybe there is hope that Elijah Green could be a national for a long time. One of the most widely harpooned contract extensions in Major League history, the terms, eight years, $100 million. Let that sink in. Ronald Acuna Jr., who some might say they prefer over Juan Soto. Eight for 100 is what the Braves got Acuna at. And Soto just turned down 15 for 440. And by the way, it was right to do so because that was a below market value contract extension offer. It is amazing uh, how these things can go. We continue to get a lot of great feedback from you guys on Soto. We read all of the emails, all of the tweets, a lot of smart opinions and takes. Keep the feedback coming at Nats underscore chat on Twitter. You can email us, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, hit up Tim Shover's NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone, you know, a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast, and we leave you now with a look back at the month that changed everything for the Nats, and the month that is responsible maybe more than any other month for why the Nats are in the predicament that they're in with Juan Soto. July 2021, and we look back today to the Miami Marlins at this time last year, but not so much for the game, but for what was said prior to the game. Nats President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Mike Rizzo expressing hey, I could go either way regarding the upcoming trade deadline, the 2021 MLB trade deadline. It was kind of the first sign of, you know what, Rizzo is thinking about blowing this thing up, and obviously he ended up doing so. So we give you this look back right now, and we thank you for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast. We'll attack the trade deadline, uh, you know, like we always do. We'll be aggressive uh, in, in whatever we do. This year will be a little bit different because of uh, you know where we at in the standings. I, I think we're gonna we're kind of uh, we'll go by a, a dual path. You know, try and uh, try and maximize our, uh, you know, our our place in the standings wherever that is. We, you know, whenever we make that decision. Mike Rizzo, I thought speaking fairly openly about the looming trade deadline. So MLB's trade deadline this year is going to be on July 30th as opposed to July 31st. We're done, by the way, with non-waiver deadline and waiver deadline. There's only one deadline now, which is the right way to do this. So Friday, July 30th, 4 p.m. Eastern is the trade deadline. Rizzo, it kind of just was kind of dropped into his lap of, hey, you know, how do you feel about the season? And then he himself kind of took it upon himself to start talking about the deadline, which I thought was interesting. 
And he multiple times talked about the Nats taking a dual path and preparing to maybe buy or maybe sell. And I have to tell you, I loved hearing that from Rizzo. I think that's 100% the way to play this. He didn't do the thing of, there's no way we won't be sellers. He did the thing of, look, we're not planning on being sellers, but we're going to kind of set up camp in both shops and we'll kind of see where things go over the next few weeks here. I think that's exactly the way to play this if you're Rizzo. Yeah, I thought it was more forthcoming than he usually is going into a trade deadline. He's often pretty vague about what they might be doing or not doing or what they're thinking. He said, in addition to the fact that, hey, we might decide we're buyers, we might decide we're sellers, he pretty much said that they're not going to decide anything until they get down to the final day or two and put the onus on his team now to win over the next week to force the issue and convince him and convince ownership that they should be buyers. And, you know, he, he said he believes that they will. He believes in his team and thinks they're going to go on a streak here and force that issue. But he's also acknowledging that if it doesn't happen, he would be willing to look into selling. And so he's going to prepare for that possibility just in case. So, yeah, I did think it was more forthcoming than we usually heard from him. And I think it was the right things that he said. I don't think you can even as we tape this on July 20th, I don't think we can say for certain which way the Nats should go. And I do think the next week is going to determine which way they go. They picked up a game on the Mets on Tuesday. The Mets lost. So they're five back as we tape this. And if they can get that to four or three by the time uh, July 30th rolls around, that's going to put some pressure on Rizzo to try to do something. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 